Hey friend, I'm Laura Lee and welcome to Living in the Light. Here on the podcast, we share our stories of how Jesus has brought us from the dark and into his glorious and powerful light. This is a space for you to be encouraged and to remember that your story matters. With God, even the brokenness has incredible purpose and meaning. I'm here to bring real life to light. Well, friends, welcome back to Living in the Light with Laura Lee. I'm Laura Lee, and I'm so delighted you've joined me today as we inaugurate a new season of the podcast. And when I say inaugurate, I mean transition into a new season. Season four of Living in the Light will launch in just a few weeks. And leading up to the launch, I'm releasing some bonus episodes to welcome us all back. These episodes will be released every Tuesday morning for the next few weeks. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you'll get a notification, a little reminder, every Tuesday morning when the next bonus episode drops. These episodes are from a few friends, mostly writers, some creatives, who I've had the sweet privilege of sitting down and talking with over the course of the last few months. They share deeply meaningful stories and wisdom from their lives, and I know you'll be encouraged as we move into the summer. On July 12th, I'll be kicking off season four that I'm calling Hope in the Light. God has been weaving these conversations together so beautifully, and I look forward to sharing them with you. I'm praying it's a summer marked by hope and blanketed by joy. And I'm so happy we get to start it off together back here on Living in the Light. More on that in the coming weeks. In today's episode, I interview Miss Shauna Nyquist. Shauna Nyquist is the New York Times bestselling author of Cold Tangerines, Bittersweet, Bread and Wine, Savor, Present Over Perfect, and I guess I haven't learned that yet. She's married to Aaron, and they live in New York City with their sons, Henry and Mac. Shauna is a bookworm, a storyteller, and a passionate gatherer of people, especially around the table. You're going to love today's episode. Here is my conversation with Shauna. Okay, Shauna, well, welcome to the podcast. I want to start us off um, with a few questions related to New York City that I'm just honestly, genuinely curious about. What is your favorite spot for breakfast, for books, and for coffee? Okay, those are such good questions. Um, Breakfast. Well, I'm just thinking about it because I was there yesterday. Okay. Uh, I took a friend to a place in Tribeca called Tiny's and the Bar Upstairs. Okay. And so it's on it's on Broadway and it is literally tiny. And what I love about it is you go through like the like the where the host stand is and the bar and then you go through and the back room is like um all exposed brick and a little fireplace. And there's like mm-hmm. room for maybe 10 people, not even 10 tables. And it is the coziest, warmest. Like I mostly have gone there on cold mornings mm-hmm. and sat by the fire and it is just the perfect spot. So wow. tiny is a total breakfast favorite and they okay. have very good homemade tater tots, which are just okay. next level. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a unique thing to be known for tater tots. I know. And they have, I think two different kinds, like breakfasty ones that are fairly like straightforward. And then the lunch ones have like maybe like chive and cheddar in them or something. Ooh. Very good. Very good. Amazing. Okay. And then coffee. Okay. So this is where I will 
borrow upon my husband's wisdom because truth be told, I am very not picky about coffee. Like I will drink uh, just like anything and it doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't have to be great. But Aaron is like a coffee guy. This like really, really matters to him. So he really loves Blue Bottle. Okay. But I would say our, I I do too. Maybe I'm going out on my own limb again. I said I was going to trust him, but I'm coming back to my own instinct. Um, The Highline Hotel has a double-decker red bus out of which you can buy Intelligentsia coffee. And then you can sit in their beautiful little courtyard. And I think that's the perfect place for a coffee. Hmm, I'll have to try that. That sounds delightful. It is absolutely delightful. It's so cute. And it's also the Highline Hotel. It's right by where we live. It is aggressively pet-friendly. And so you will see just like the cutest dogs wearing the cutest outfits Mm. all over their patio. It is some good dog watching. Mm, The dog game is strong here. It really is. It's really strong. Okay. And then books, where, where do you like to go to read books or to buy books? Well, I have lots of different favorites, but the first one that comes to mind, because we were just there on Sunday, I think is Posman Books in Chelsea Market. Okay. So I love it for a couple different reasons. Number one, I love Chelsea Market. It's I think it's really fun, yeah. and especially when people are coming in from out of town, it's uh, you can get like everything you want all in one little block. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Posman Books has such a great mix of like obviously really great books, really beautifully displayed. They also have you know how most bookstores have like a little bit of other stuff. Yes. They have the best selection of other stuff. They have. My favorite pens. They have beautiful stationery. That's important. Beautiful greeting cards. Um, they have really good kid gifts. So like Posman Books is, you know, like maybe five blocks from us. And it's one of those places where in almost any scenario, I could buy a really good gift for somebody from Posman mm-hmm. Books. So that's a, a very, very high on my list. I love that. Well, Shauna, you're a writer and a speaker. And I want to read a quote from your new book because I think it kicks us off. Um, But you say, this is not a to-do list. This is not a prescription for success or a roadmap to spiritual perfection. This is a love letter, a handful of treasures, a lifeline, a hand reaching out in the darkness and offering hope and respite. This is a book I wish someone had written for me when I was in a season of near constant untethering and unbelonging, wandering and fumbling, and ultimately discovering a million beautiful surprises over a couple of very dark years. This is everything I know, wild and messy, accompaniments for the hardest stretches of the journey. Oh, such, I just want to say thank you um, for writing these words and for the invitation not to arrive, um, but to be and to learn and to grow and for that to be enough. So I want to ask you, what is this phrase, I guess I haven't learned that yet, meant to you? You know, first, thank you. Those were such kind things to say. One of the funny things about, um, you know, releasing a book is you write it and then you don't hear anything for like a really long time. And so (laughs) to get to um, have somebody reading it and talking with me about it is really meaningful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I haven't learned that yet. Started off as something we told our kids um, when we first moved here to New York, kind of encouraging them that they weren't falling behind. This wasn't knowledge they were supposed to have. They They shouldn't naturally know how everything works here. It's okay to be learners and to be new. And that's part of what being a beginner again in a new city means. So it started off as something we told our kids. Um, And then it became something that was really um, valuable and important for me. I think uh, there are all different reasons 
uh, that put me in sort of the expert category. You know, when you're a writer, one of the funny things about becoming a writer is people immediately think you're an expert in something. You're like, no, no, no I just like typing. Like, that's it. I'm not an expert in anything. But you become a writer and then people give you a microphone and then they give you more microphones and then people start to look at you like you probably have it all figured out. Um, that's true as you get older. It's true as you become a parent. It's true. Mm-hmm. I think when you've lived in the same place for a long time or have been a part of the same church for a long time, you become sort of the resident answer person. And all of a sudden, I was in a new city, a new church, um, a new set of relationships, a new kind of everything. And I realized I being trying to pretend I was an expert here wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. I had to admit what was true, which was I was a beginner in all different areas. Um, again, new friendships, new way of living, new city, new way of doing everything, even just trying to figure out the subway. It was like a tremendously you know, complicated process when you're used to having a car. Yeah. yeah. And so I found, but I started seeing it not as a, a drawback or a negative. And I started seeing it as an invitation to learning, to connecting, to listening, to letting myself be kind of curious and new again. And it brought a lot of life and hope and energy. Uh, And I'm really thankful for it. So it's been a phrase that has um, introduced me to a really delightful new way of living. Hmm. I think about my own journey um, in faith, walking with God. And oftentimes I want to arrive or to figure it out. Like there's something about, it's probably my pride of just, you know, wanting to like hit a mark. And someone recently this past week said to me, Laurie, the process is the answer. And that just keeps replaying in my mind because that's just so counter to what, you know, our like instinctually we want to lean into. Um, So I want to ask, how has being a beginner helped you in your faith journey to letting go? You know, I think one of the things that it's done is it's given me a lot of curiosity about other people's faith experiences and traditions outside my own tradition. Mm -hmm. It's given me a real, so now I, you know, we live on an Episcopal seminary campus and we're not Episcopalian, Mm -hmm. but we learn from and love so many parts Mm -hmm. of that tradition. And I think if you're an expert, you're like, hello, I have to, I've arrived on campus. Let me tell you what I know. And instead, we have arrived on campus and been like, oh, I don't know why you do that. Can you tell me about it? I don't know anything about this particular tradition. Where does it come from? Um, And it allows us to learn so much. And I think my faith has been so enriched and so shaped in a positive way by learning from traditions and experiences Mm. and histories outside my own. Um, I'm trying to think of small examples. Um, living on this campus, they ring the bells twice a day. And sometimes they play a song. Sometimes it's just like a very short little melody. Sometimes it's like six songs in a row. And apparently there's some sort of calendar for when you play what, but I don't know what it is. So it's just like a surprise to me all the time. Mm -hmm. But what it is, is they ring the bells before chapel and they do chapel twice a day, every Mm -hmm. day. And when I think about kind of how we were created to live, I've taken it just personally as a little reminder toward a moment of prayer, right? When I hear the bells, I Mm -hmm. stop 
and pray. I don't I don't go to the chapel necessarily. Every once in a while I do, but I hear the bells and I remember that all of life is sacred, that every day is sacred, that every moment of our lives is an opportunity for sacred connection with God and with each other. And so these Episcopal seminary bells have become for me a daily reminder to connect with God and connect with people in meaningful ways. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm, That's beautiful. So Shauna, for the one listening who feels like they are stumbling through the dark days right now, you talked a little bit about that in your book. How does this message of being a beginner encourage them? Sometimes when we're um, in seasons of darkness or pain, we don't feel like we can ask for the help that we need. We feel like we have to get through it alone. We feel like we should know how to get through it better than we have. Like, like there's a map and if we can just quietly find the map, we don't have to bother anybody else with all this pain. And I have found that in the same way, um, I've become someone who like, like I ask for directions everywhere I go. I'm like, I don't, well, I don't know where I am, but I bet somebody else knows, you know, yeah. um, instead of pretending like I'm a local, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And I've been learning to do the same thing in some of these seasons of loss and pain. I've, um, I was having a really difficult time uh, last fall, a year and a half ago. Everyone was having a difficult time a year and a half ago, but I was trying to fit, finish a particular segment of the book. And I just, I was just absolutely stuck. And so I did something I've never done before. I reached out to three writers that I really respect and I knew them, but not like, uh, please, can I talk with you about this in an urgent way? I didn't know them that way. But I said, like, I'm really stuck as a writer and as a storyteller. I'm doubting myself. I feel lost. I can't figure my way through this section of writing. Would you be open to talking with me about it? And all three of them got back to me and were like, yes, of course I will. And Being stuck in writing is the same as being stuck in your life, is the same as being stuck in a relationship, is the same as being stuck in your faith. You can ask for help. If you see anybody Mm. doing it in any sort of way that works for you, that you think like, well, maybe I could do it their way, just ask. Uh, This is a totally different example, but I always tell people when you get to a new town and you need to find someone to do your hair, find someone whose hair you like and ask them where they get their hair done, right? That's a compliment. And then they're sharing. If you see someone who has made it through a dark season and you're in a dark season, ask them for help. If you're stuck in your professional life and you know someone has been stuck in their professional life, ask for help because we need help. We all need guidance. We all need all that. Also, I don't know if you felt this in your life. Actually, I think this is some of what you're doing in this podcast. When you've been through something difficult, you don't want what you've learned to be wasted. It's really meaningful to say like, oh, I can help. I know a little bit of what you're feeling right now. And if my experience can add some dimension or hope or empathy to your experience, then I know that my experience wasn't wasted. Yeah. Hmm. As you're talking, I'm thinking about why, why is it so hard for us to ask for help? And then also thinking about those that are in transition, there's even an added challenge in a transition because like you're saying, you're new, you're the beginner. And so there's a a feeling of, oh, I want to just like present myself in a certain way, or you're thinking about from an external perspective, you know, what they think of you. 
Um, so how, I don't know, what encouragement would you give for those that are in transition and maybe feel scared to ask um, to like, whether it's community or uh, just not understanding a piece of a new city or um, how would you encourage them? I think I would say, and this sounds like a little rough, like this is a little bit of like tough medicine. Um, yeah. You can create a scenario where people perceive you as having it all together mm. and then be lonely. Yeah. Or you can walk up to a group of people literally or figuratively and say, I need a little help. And then you might look, you might look fragile. You might look weak. You might look like you don't have it all together. You might look a little messy, mm -hmm. but you won't be alone. Those are our choices. If you need for people to perceive you as having it all together, you're welcome to continue down that road, but it means you'll do it alone. Yeah. If you're willing to say, I'm a little bit of a mess right now, or I'm right in the middle of a tricky life transition, or I'm a little bit lonely and I could use a friend. If you're willing to be vulnerable in that way, what you get is the possibility of connection. And for me, that trade-off is worth it. I am absolutely done with people thinking that lady standing over there, but all alone has it all together. I'm like, Oh no, I don't, right. I definitely don't. Here I am right, right in front of you. Um, willing to be seen as maybe like a little weird or fragile or needy because sometimes I am all of those things. And I'd rather be connected to people who will walk with me than have them stand at a distance admiring yeah. how I have it all yeah, together. Yeah. That's real. Um, recently I've been thinking about uh, the word fearless, just like what it means to live fearlessly, to walk fearlessly. My life verses Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, where it says, pray for me that I will fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel in which I'm an ambassador in chains. And I think for so long, I've like failed in walking in fearlessness. So then I get back to this place of like, oh, like God calls us to be fearless. And I finally got to the point of asking him the question recently of what is like prohibiting me from fearlessness and just realized that this, this desire to like get it right, kind of like I mentioned earlier, it's like desire to get it right or, um, you know, to just, yeah, to just like do it the right way. And I, I think this is a deep desire and longing for many women is, um, to just like have an unreachable standard and then uh, we place that standard on ourselves and therefore we're placing it on people around us. And it's very hard to walk fearlessly when, when you're calculating in that way. Um, and it sounds like, you know, I just hear this, like you let go, you know, like you gave up trying to, to, to get it all right. You know? So I just want to ask you, like, when did you decide what was the turn where you said like, I give up trying to get it all right. And what did that journey look like for you? That's a great question. And I would say one, one thing, I think the, a couple different thoughts there. I think when God invites us or commands us to be fearless, uh, I think that's a goal, but I don't think it's where most of us live. And I think there's a way to be very brave and doing exactly what God asks us or calls us to do and still feel fear. Yeah. I think maybe like there's something in there where like we act fearless 
or, or but we still feel those mm-hmm. you know i think when if you if any of us think that uh, there's going to be a moment where you're going to wake up without any fear and then you're going to be able to move boldly forward yeah. you're going to wait for that day forever yeah you do it while you're scared you yeah. do it while you're afraid you just don't let the fear be bigger than your bravery or your belief or your conviction right yeah um and you're not trusting in yourself you're trusting in him Absolutely. But you don't expect the fear to be gone. You just right. trust something you're larger trusting than in him. Yeah. And it brings you just, peace. You kind of make friends with the fear. Um, if I had to wait until I was fearless, I'd never pub- publish anything ever in my life. I do it while I'm scared because I believe in something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine has a, an amazing tattoo that just says, do it afraid. Meaning, I'm not going to wait till the moment I'm not afraid. I'm going to do it even right while I'm in the middle of the fear and I'm going to move forward anyway. Mm, That's good. In your book, you talk about living lightly. What do you find it to mean to live lightly? Well, I mean it in a couple different ways. And so as a fellow New Yorker, I'm sure you can identify with the process of having like, you mentioned that your family lives on a farm, which Mm -hmm. there's like, space for everything there. You know, yeah. when we lived in the suburbs of Chicago, there was space for everything. And then some. Um, and then when we moved from a like relatively typical suburbs house to an 825 square foot apartment, everything that goes in has to be intentional. Yeah. And you can't have five of them. You know, you yeah. need one of everything and it has to have a place or you'll just go nuts. Um yeah with an apartment just crammed with stuff. And so we had to totally change our relationship to our things. Um, How many sets of dishes do you you need? One, only one. That's not how most of us live if we have lots of space. How many pairs of shoes? How many of my kids' toys? How many, all of it? What are things we keep around us? And we had to just change our perspective. Instead of kind of how many beautiful things can I surround myself with? It's how lightly can I live in this space? How can I get away with even less, even less, even less? And then we realize there's the very obvious, if you continue the metaphor, um, have I, I've been carrying too many things. I've been keeping too many things in my life, like my actual stuff. I've also been carrying and keeping too many things inside of me. And we got to New York and I realized I was holding on to a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of regret, a lot of wishing my story was different, uh, uh, all of these very heavy things. And I realized I live in too small a space to carry this Mm. and I need to let some things go. And so our first several months in New York were about me forgiving myself and other people every single day over and over again so that I could get once again to a season of lightness. So I wasn't carrying so much around with me all the time. Yeah. I love how the, like what you're saying is like the physical component of it is so, um, it goes along with the mental and spiritual aspect of it. I I mean, I feel that whenever I clean up my apartment, it's just like when you have your laundry done and there's a good smell in the air, you're like, wow, I just, there's a lightness to it that everything else seems easier. It's absolutely true. And one of the things that I don't know if you feel this, one thing I love about apartment living is it can be like the messiest it's ever been. Like every corner is 25 minutes. I just was, I was just going to say that I was going to, we always say 20 minutes and it yes. is sparkling again. I love what it. What a 
great feeling, right? If you have a really big house, that's like hours, that's days. Nope, yeah. 20 minutes, we're back. <laughs> okay. Alongside living lightly, I've heard you talk about um, practices of silence and solitude that have been really transformational in your life and journey. And you know, that's a, that's a piece of living lightly is finding simplicity in our schedules and in our time to um, just quiet the noise. So I want to ask, why do you think our default is speed over simplicity? And what has that journey looked like for you? Well, I think you touched on it um, a couple different times. You talked about the expectations on women for mm-hmm to be kind of perfect in all the areas and in the desire to kind of um, be perceived as successful or having it all together. Um, And so the desire to keep moving and to achieve is so prevalent in our culture Yeah, that you are what you do. So if you do more, you're better. Um, You are what people can see. So if you, when we're trusting in those outward metrics, they require us to kind of live in that productivity grind culture. If you are what you do, you have to do and do and do. Silence and simplicity are truly like countercultural revolutionary practices that say, I am not what I do. I am not what I make. I am not what you see on the outside. There's more to me. And there are things that I value Mm -hmm. that can't be quantified outside. They can't be measured. They're not a report card. They're not a number on a scale. They're not a number in a bank account. There's a value intrinsic in my soul that comes from the God who created me. Mm -hmm. And silence says, I trust my worth given to me by God more than I trust the hustle culture and the messages that it's given me. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing I would say is silence is where you can start to listen to your own voice Mm -hmm. and God's voice in his spirit within you. Um, It's really difficult to hear your own deep intuition and longings and God's spirit inside of you when you're sprinting through your life all the time. It's nearly impossible. Wow. Yep. And so when I felt like, you know, this is in a season about 10 years ago where I felt like I was off track, I was extremely productive. My career was going well, but I was losing that internal sense of groundedness, my own kind of God-given worth and identity. Hmm. And what I had to learn to do was sit in silence. It was very scary for me when I first started doing it. And my capacity for it was very low. And I would to anybody who knows kind of that they need a little practice of silence, but doesn't totally feel up for it. Mm-hmm. Start with setting a three minute timer on your phone. That's it. And it will feel like you'll check your phone six times. You'll be like, it's broken, right? It's been half an hour. This is, whew. but yeah. you build up to being comfortable with more and more silence. And it's a place where God can really do his kind of rebuilding, regrounding, recentering work in us. It's very significant, especially in seasons of transition. Hmm. Yeah, you hit it. I was going to ask you about um, the season where you got to the point of feeling really exhausted and isolated and anxious and not sleeping well and hustling. And I think what I would love to ask you is, 
That takes a lot of resistance is like, I feel that, especially in a city like New York city, that you get back to that place and you're like, okay, like, I know the relationships that matter in this season. I know the things in the, you know, the specific calling that, um, is, is in front of me, but then you add and you add and you add. And then you're like, what the things I actually am prioritizing or want to prioritize. I'm not prioritizing, even though in theory, I'm like, yes, these are the things I prioritize. So are there any practices or is there a way that you filter like your yeses and your noes, for instance, to make for, you know, a life that is in line with what you care about and what you love? Absolutely. And I would say this is one of the things that uh, I have really strong feelings about because I've gotten it wrong for so long. Yeah. Um, so, okay. When you feel like maybe your ne- your yeses and your noes are a little bit disordered, right? Like you're saying, you're saying yes to the wrong things. You're saying no to the right things. The math in your life isn't working. The first thing you do mm-hmm. is you build in a practice of silence every day and really like start with three minutes, but work up to maybe 10 or 15 and um, get back in touch with who you want to be and who yeah. you were created to be. And that practice, that's the first thing. The other thing I would say is find someone in your life, a best mm. friend, a roommate, a, a, a boyfriend, a partner, a parent, anybody who wants you to live according to your values and is willing to help reflect reality back to you. Mm-hmm. What I mean is we went through a stretch where I was doing this so badly that I needed such remedial help that I made a rule that I could not say yes or no to anything without talking to Aaron about it. Not like in a permission way, like my husband doesn't let me go places, but he knew the life I wanted and he knew what I wanted my rhythm of life to be. And I was admitting, I don't know how to do this. I'm getting my yeses and nos all the way wrong. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know what? That sounds really fun. Let me just check with Aaron and see if it works for our family schedule and get back to you. The other thing is don't say yes or no in the moment. I almost never say yes to something in the moment. I can say no to something in the moment, That's good. but it, everything sounds good to me. Everything sounds fun. Everything yeah. sounds delightful. And there's probably time for it, but there's not. Yes. And so I really, truly, you can ask my good friends about this. If they ask me to do something 90% of the time, I'll say, that sounds really great. Let me check in with my family and get back to you. And what that means a lot of times is just checking in with myself. Does this align with my values? What is happening in our schedule right now? Because if I if I say yes to everything that I have the impulse to say yes to, I will live a crazy life. Yeah. So that practice of silence, not saying yes right away and asking someone else who's kind of on board with your values to reflect back to you, those things have really helped me. Mm, that's, that's really good. I want to implement the one about having someone to call or someone to check in with, because there is with accountability, there's something that keeps you on track when you know that there's that voice of like, Oh, I have to run this by someone. And, and they even can like kind of hold in front of you. Like, this is what you said you wanted. This is what you said you're moving towards. Like, is this, is this what you want? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it, it has so much less to do with getting permission from them, but yeah. it's them reflecting back to you. Hey, I've heard you say yes. this is kind of how you want to live. Like and almost always, it's exactly what it is. Almost always. I don't even need them to say anything. I'm yeah. like halfway through speaking it and I'm like, oh, I know the answer. Gotcha. gotcha yes. Thanks. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Another question about transitions. What role has writing played in your transitions and in, in the, 
the healing and discovery and beginning again in the transition seasons? So I, you know, I, I love being a writer. I'm really grateful to get to do this work. Um, in other seasons, it has felt like I have lived through a set of transitions and then I have written about them, not after the fact, but a little bit from a distance. And this book felt like God was using a pen and a piece of paper to help heal my broken heart real time. Mm. Um, and a lot of that writing will never see the light of day in a public way, but um, it, it's like the job I signed on for ended up being an agent of my healing in ways I could have never predicted. And I'm really grateful for that. And I probably wouldn't have done it if I hadn't, if I didn't have a writing deadline, I was in so much pain through some of these transitions that I, I was, I would have avoided writing at all costs because everything was so yeah. hard, but I had to get a book done. So I had to write about it. And that was part of God's graciousness as well. It kept me writing and feeling and looking for perspective and truth. And uh, it healed me along the way in a way uh, that an, another writing project never has. I'm really grateful for it. Mm. Hey friend, Laura Lee here. Did you know I send out a weekly email newsletter? Be sure and subscribe to the Rise Collective newsletter. This newsletter goes out every Tuesday with a few words from me, links to the new podcast episode and the episode show description, as well as updates from the Rise Collective ministry in ways you can be a part of the work God is doing in the lives of women all around the world. I get so excited to send this out each week. It feels like I'm just dropping a little piece of happy into your email inbox every Tuesday. Now back to my conversation with Shauna. Shauna, I have um, a Bible study group through the ministry that I started called Rise Collective, and it's women here in New York City. And then we have an online community where we all just gather together in community and we pray together, we study the Bible together, and it's just been a really sweet time of um, just cultivating a community. And I would love for you to, a lot of the girls here in New York are in that season of life where they're transitioning to New York from college or they're just that early twenties. And I would love for you to speak into the girl who is listening, who she's in this transition, coming out of college, moving into a season of life full of new beginnings, including like establishing new community and moving across the country and embarking on a new job. And um, she isn't, maybe she isn't even sure how ends are going to meet, but she has faith in this unknown time. What advice or encouragement would you give to her? Mm, that's such a good question. And I like, I can feel that. I remember <laughs> yeah. being at the stage and asking all those questions. Um, the first thing I would say, um, you are doing better than you think you are. Um mm. The first couple jobs and first couple moves out of college are really, really hard. And we don't talk about that enough. Mm -hmm. And if you're just sort of sort of vaguely staying afloat, you're doing really, really well. Um, you shouldn't know more than you do. Yeah. You should feel more certain than you do. Um, you absolutely should not be like settled in your career. That's not what your early 20s are about. And if, you know... Um, 
same with a relationship. Like it, uh, maybe you're in a partnership or a dating relationship with a person that's going great and then like bless you, but also this is a time to learn and to learn the sound of your own voice and to figure out what works for you and to figure out who you want to be in the world. And so I would say all the pressures to fast forward into certainties that will come later in life, resist that at all costs. Mm-hmm. Let yourself be young. Let yourself get it wrong. Let yourself try new things. Um, this is the time for that. Um, one, I mean, one thing we find out is it's always the time for that, but especially like I had a real strong sense of like kind of metrics. I want to be here by this point. I want to know this by this. Yeah. I want to have a baby by this date. I want to write a book by this date. Now I look back and I go, I think I missed out on a lot of, a lot of fun, um, wow. a lot of play, a lot of ease, a lot of creativity, a lot of mm. trying things. Um I ended up kind of doing those things afterward, but I think um, I wish I would have released the pressure that I had on myself in my early 20s to push towards these next milestones so quickly. Hmm. The other thing I would say is if you are feeling like you're the only one who doesn't have it all together, Hmm. willing to be the one around the table who goes first and says, Hmm. oh, I don't have it all together. Um, my friend, Laura Tremaine, who's wonderful. She's actually been my friend since we were teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, She wrote an amazing book and the title is share your stuff. I'll go first. And I think that phrase is so beautiful. The more you can um, be the one who's willing to go first, say, you know, if you were to say, you know, you get together with this group of girlfriends, if you were to say like, Hey, I'm, I'm really stressed about money. Have you guys felt that? Then you get to have a conversation about like, this is real. And what are some things you're doing to make it easier? And what are some things maybe I haven't thought of? Or to say, hey, I, I thought my career would feel like this, but it doesn't. And I think maybe I need to make a change, but that feels scary and maybe a little bit like a failure. If you go first in that conversation, you will almost always find these are things we all feel. Everybody's worried about money in their early 20s. Everybody's worried that their career choices are maybe like a hair off or a lot off. Everybody's worried that they're not where they're supposed to be in some cosmic way. The more we can normalize these conversations by being the ones who go first, Mm -hmm. the richer our communities will be. Mm, That's good advice. Okay, we're on the other side of a, for all of us, a hard season from the the pandemic and just lots of loss and... um, I don't think many of us thought our lives may look like they do now. What have you learned um, through that season and specifically related to change and, and how to move forward after you've gone through something that is really difficult? You know, I think um, one of the, there are several things that have happened in the last couple of years that we've all had to grapple with in, mm-hmm. in our country and in the world. And one of them, I, I would say, Uh, and I I write about this a little bit, but um, two myths have been, I think, totally blown out of the water for us. The myth of independence and the myth of control. We are not entirely independent from one another. Our choices affect each other. We need each other. We need to work together as cities, as communities. Um, The choices you make affect me and the choices I make affect you. And that's uh, an important thing for us to hold in our minds and our hearts as we move forward. Also, the myth of control, that uh, I'm the boss of um, my schedule, my life, my rhythm, my everything. We're not. Like when 
All of us didn't leave our houses for several months. We're not the boss anymore. There are things beyond our control that are unfolding all the time. And so I say, I would say, if we want to be people who are learning from every possible opportunity and invitation to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, grappling with those myths of independence and control that have been, I think, handily dismantled in the last couple of years. Okay, so what does it mean to move forward with interdependence and an awareness that we don't control all of our choices and outcomes? Um, a friend of mine, uh, we, we were out to lunch the, uh, yesterday, actually, at, at Tiny's, and we were saying um, another friend was building her forever home. And I know that that's a term that people have, and it, it, I know what it means. It means the house that, you know, we would like to live in forever. And we both said like, man, I'm not sure I've, I'm not sure I'm going to have a forever home. And I'm not sure that phrase helps us right now. A lot of people had their forever trajectories, right? And then the last couple of years, we've seen so many things upended. And I think if we could maybe live a little bit more lightly, you know, one of the things I love about New York is um, most people rent and a lot of people move every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so there's that, there's that idea that like, I'm a New Yorker. No, I don't live in the same place every year. No, I don't, you know, yes, I did have to get a new bed because it didn't fit my old bedroom, but like, it keeps you sort of nimble. It keeps mm. you flexible. It, it keeps you from driving your roots so down and deep into the ground that the idea of moving at all would feel like extremely offensive and chaotic. I think that's healthy. And I, I think if there was a sense of, being nimble and free and living lightly and knowing that we don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. We know that we have the skills to make it through whatever's around the corner. We know that we can take care of each other, whatever's around the corner, but we can't predict that it's going to be just like today. And I think that's healthy. I think the more we can say, um, life is a little more unpredictable and this house might not be my forever house. There's still goodness. There's still hope. There's still connection. There's still meaning. There's just not as many guarantees as I thought. I think that's a really healthy way to live. Mm. I think it's hard to trust and surrender without living that way because that's really like opening our hands up and being open to, you know, whatever, whatever is the next right thing. Um, You talk about being like longing to be a person who's easily delighted and I love that, just delight, enjoy, you know, no matter the season or the circumstances. And as you're talking about just the, um, the many different transitions that come alongside living in a city like New York City, that you can, you know, you can function out of two ways. I, I think about the pressure that it can create to have you know, my lease ends in two years. So like, I need to be worried about it and I need to live out of fear of where am I going to live next? I need to look at apartments all the time, or you can see it like that. You could have the perspective of, oh, wow, I get to move in two years. What a a delightful new adventure that will be. And I get to figure something new out. And um, I just love your perspective in that. Okay. I want to ask you about joy and delight to wrap us up. Um, Why is it so important to be filled with delight? I wouldn't say it's important from a right or wrong standpoint. I would say delight is important for its own sake. If if you're like, you know what, I'm anti-delight, fine. Be anti-delight. I am pro-delight because it (laughs) makes the life, it makes even the hardest parts of life feel manageable. Um, And actually, you know what? what? I am going to disagree with myself. 
I think if you're paying attention, if you understand that God made the world and that God made people and you're walking through the world with your eyes open, you can't help but be delighted because people are extraordinary. Yeah. And the world, the, the the natural world that's been created is extraordinary. And what we were talking about right before we started recording, um, you are a, a Broadway performer. And I went to a Broadway show last night. Mm. And if you can sit in the audience and listen to people sing and watch them dance and listen to musicians make music and not feel a deep sense of delight, there's something that needs to be fixed inside of you because God has made people with such an extraordinary capacity to make amazing things. Amen. And I don't want anybody in this world to miss out on that. It's available to us all the time. The world is extraordinary. Every corner of it. People are extraordinary. Art is extraordinary. Food is extraordinary. The sky every single day is extraordinary. And if you don't live attuned to that, it's like living in black and white when you could be living in color. Wow. Well, we covered a lot today, Shauna, and I just, what a, what a way to go out. Um, more delight. There's so, so much to rejoice in. Thank you for coming on the podcast and I'm going to link in the show notes uh, where everybody can find your book very soon. It's about to come out. Um, thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. This was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, friend. I want to share a few updates with you guys. As many of you know, I started a ministry in soon-to-be 501c3 nonprofit organization called Rise Collective. Rise Collective's vision is to see women united in Christ, rooted in God's Word, and rising up for the glory of God. We do this by cultivating tight-knit communities where women experience the transforming love of Christ, grow up into the gospel, and rise into disciple-makers. We do this through our community in New York City as well as in our online home, Rise Collective Women Online. We're currently gearing up for a new summer Bible study where we will be walking through the book of 1 Peter. We're calling this study Hope and Holiness. I've actually written this Bible study and my prayer is that it will be a companion for us as we together deepen our knowledge of the truth of God's word. Sign up for the weekly newsletter in the show description and you'll find more information on how to join the 1 Peter Bible study in the email this week. I want to let you guys know that I'll be now posting about Living in the Light with Laura Lee on the Rise Collective Instagram. So be sure and go and follow at Rise Collective Women for weekly posts about the show. You can follow along posts from my day-to-day life on Instagram at Laura Lee Turner. I love to share thoughts, words, scriptures, and updates from my journey as an artist and a follower of Jesus here in New York City. I want to give a big thank you to Colleen Bruton for editing the podcast and Mike Stapleton and Helen Kemeny for the original music heard on the show. As always, go in light and in love. And I'll be back with another bonus episode next Tuesday.